Thanks for joining us for our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're currently in our series, Fresh Fruit, where we are diving into the fruit of the Spirit. As a believer, the fruit of the Spirit should be coming out of our lives. It should be shown in all that we say and do. Just as when you see an apple tree, you see apples on it. As a Christian, others should see you and see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. They should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They should see Jesus in us. Our vertical relationship with God must be lived out in our horizontal relationships with others. So let's jump in together to this week's message of Fresh Fruit. We're so glad you're here. My name's Ethan Neiman. This is my wife, Abby. Uh, we've been going to Rolling Hills for a year now. Yeah, having self-control, it can be kind of difficult at times. Uh, one funny story that comes to mind is actually the day that, uh, our daughter's name is Evie, the day that we dedicated Evie at church. And Evie had, had to change her diaper. As I'm changing her diaper, uh, she starts to go to the bathroom again. And so I'm looking around, looking for an extra diaper for the diaper bag realize I don't have the diaper bag. And so Evie is just laying there on the changing table, just using the bathroom. Well, I call Abby and she doesn't answer. I call her again, she doesn't answer. And I call her again and probably like 10 minutes go by of I'm just trying to figure out what am I supposed to do. And Abby walks in and she's like, hey, what's, what's taking so long? I was like, well, I don't have the diaper bag. She was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And so in that moment, it was like, I can't control this situation. Uh, and so self-control in that, but then also not to be upset with Abby, who just accidentally took the diaper bag. And I had to have self-control not to get upset with him <laughs> for letting her yeah. pee all over herself. Okay, didn't have an extra <laughs> diaper. We made it though. We did. Nobody knew. Now so. everybody knows. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think self-control is part of God's plan because when we think about the world, it's broken. And our initial response to people and situations is not what it should be oftentimes. And I think we feel things really strongly and we think that's right. But when we pause and look to Jesus to see how he would respond, oftentimes it's not the way that we would have done it. And so using that self-control makes us stop and think, okay, how would Jesus want me to respond to this person, to this situation? Um, and like Ethan said, by using that as a tool, by using self-control, it makes us more like Jesus and it helps us love people better. All right, how about Columbia Campus representing in that video? How awesome is that? How awesome is that? Well, my, if I don't know you already, my name is Jacob. I get the honor of being the discipleship pastor at Rolling Hills, which, what does that mean? It means a lots of different things. I get to oversee like all adult discipleship, whether it be community groups or midweek, and then all missions gets to be a part of what I do. So I was so excited when uh, Brother T asked me to come and speak on his uh, behalf today. You know, and as we start today, I want to start by telling you a, a story uh, as we conclude this series on fruit of the spirit. Recently, uh, we, have, we have two cars in my home. We have a, a minivan because when you have 12 kids like me, you have to have a minivan. Okay, I only have four, but it feels like 12 frequently. 
Um, so we have a minivan, and then I have what some of you would consider an antique American classic. I have a 2004 F-150. If you want to check it out, it's sitting outside right now. You can go take a look at it. It's beautiful. Uh, well, recently we were taking a trip in that van, and uh, it had some mechanical issues, of course, and it, it broke down, so we had to take that car to the shop. So this car's in the shop, and then I, I go to get in my truck the next day, you know, uh, I'm going to work, and I go to crank my truck, and it's, it usually takes about two cranks to crank it every time. So I first crank, it doesn't crank. I was like, well, that's pretty normal. Let's go to the next one. No crank. Let's go to the third one. No crank. I'm sitting there for about 15 minutes like, oh, it's going to crank. I know it's going to crank. It just will not crank. So... Um, I reach out to my friends at Moody's Tire and Auto in Franklin. And I was like, hey, can you guys work on this? And they were like, yeah, we can, we can work on that. So I'm like, hey, it's not cranking. I need, I'm going to need a tow truck for this. Do you, you recommend anybody? So I'm getting all this stuff together. Just a side note, the rest of this illustration is sponsored by Moody's Tire and Auto. Um, but they, uh, I go to crank it one last time before the, I, I get the spare key so I can go and try it one more time before the, before the tow truck gets there. And I go to crank it and it cranks. I was like, oh my goodness, it's crazy. I better go ahead and take it up there. So I take it up to, to the place and I, I leave it there and I, I go back home and the next day they call me and they were like, hey, what's going on with this thing again? I was like, it's not cranking at all. It just cranked one time out of like 30 times I tried. And they were like, well, we've had it all day and it cranks every single time for us. I was like, well, of course it does because that's the way that works. So I come and get it. I bring it home. This was, this was on the weekend. And the next time I try to crank is on Sunday morning when I'm headed to church there at the Franklin campus. I get in my car at 6 a.m. It's not cranking. I was like, oh, my goodness. So like all of the fruit of the spirit, all the different aspects are being tested in this one moment in my heart. So I had to call somebody to come pick me up and bring me to church. I, I video that it's not cranking to prove I'm not crazy. I send it to them. I was like, look, it is not cranking. They're like, okay, we'll will you need to get it back in do you want to tow it and I was like let me try it again the next day I come that afternoon I tried and it cranks so I get it up there so there's a whole week of this back and forth never cranks for me cranks for them every single time and then finally at the end of the week they call me and like Jacob like we've looked at every possible thing my mechanics are trying to isolate what it could possibly be we're looking at all the different variables and I was like yeah I said variables they're in there like scientists trying to figure this out and he was like the only thing we could think is different is, are you using a different key than we're using? I was like, of course, I've given you the spare key. I'm not gonna give you my main key, which is all my other important keys are on. I've given you the spare key. And then I look down at my key, which is the main key. And there's a little hole missing on the top. And then I had this flashback of my wife earlier the week before, like, hey, what's this little black thing I found on the ground? And I'll, it looked like a little piece of technology. I was like, I'm sure it's nothing. It's probably one of the kids' toys. Throw it away. We don't keep trash around here. And threw it away, which was a little sensor that goes in the top of the key. And without that sensor in there, it literally has no power to crank the car. So every time that I was trying to crank it, I was using the one without the sensor. Every time they were cranking it, they had the one with the sensor. And the one time that I would go out there to crank it, I would use the spare because I was about to hand it to them because that's the reason it was in my hand. So I tell you that. So just so you know, if your car didn't ever crank, crank make sure there's not a little sensor missing because who would have thought that? But the reason I really tell you this is because I think it's a frequent illustration for us when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, when we think about the things that are listed in this list. Let's look at them really quick. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against these things. There's no such law. When we think about these things, we frequently 
We want these things. These things is what human flourishing looks like. We desire these things in our heart, but we try to get it through other means. We try to get it through the world and literally like that key that couldn't, that, that key had no power to crank that truck. No matter how many times I tried to start it, it may sound like it was about to crank. It may feel like in my heart it's about to crank. It may even almost turn over, but it literally had no power to crank because that key could not give me the thing that my heart desired, which was the cranking of the truck. They had the key that could give them that thing. And for us, when we look at it, we frequently try to use a key that will not give us the things we desire. The world offers a version of love, a version of joy, a version of peace, which is an almost crank. And we think it's going to give us the thing that our heart desires. And it never truly does. Because for us, there is only one thing that can crank that truck. Only one thing that can make these things happen in our life. There's only one thing that can make us look like Christ and look like these things. And that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only thing that can produce these things in our life. We may have a version of them in our life, but only God through his Holy Spirit can give us those things. But you're like, Jacob, you know, I struggle with love. I'm maybe a more, joy, more joyful person, but I, I, I'm not as gentle as I'd like to be. I'm good at some of these, but I'm not good at the others. And that is true. Some people are more dispositioned to some of the aspects than others. But what I want you to want to tell you this morning is this, and this is hopefully is encouragement to you, is this. That as a follower of Christ, you have full access to every aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. You have full access. What that means is if you were to ask yourself who is the most self-controlled person I know or the most kind person I know, are you found in that number? Maybe you are. Maybe you're not. But this is what I want to tell you is through the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to be the fullness of all of this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. You have the ability to be the kindest person. You have the ability to be the most self-controlled. You have this ability. You have full access. Let me show you that where that's in Scripture. In 2 Peter, it says this, His divine power, who God's divine power has given us, that's you and I, everything, not just some things, not just partial things, but everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his glory or a divine life or holiness. God has given us every single thing we need to be holy. He has given us everything we need. He has given it to us as a gift. The only thing we have to do is meet him in it. That he has given us access to this fruit of the spirit we see on this wall. We just have to meet him in it. So how do we meet him in it. I'll say it like this, maybe you've heard this before, that practice makes perfect. That practice makes perfect. Let me, let me give you this illustration. It's an old illustration, maybe you've heard it before, that it'd be like God telling you that you are the greatest, you have the potential to be the greatest piano player ever known to man. That he has gifted you this, but all you have to do is just practice. That if you were to meet him in practice, you will become the potential of what he's given you in being the greatest piano player ever. And for all of this fruit of the spirit, where we meet God in this as he has gifted it to us, we must only meet him in the practicing of these things. You're like, well, Jacob, I am not perfect. Well, let me say it a different way. Practice is the process of being made perfect. 
that practice makes perfect, practice is the process of being made perfect. I try to get this into my kids all the time. They, we play a bunch of sports. I'm like, guys, they're like, I'm, I'm going to be the best. And I was like, how are you going to be the best playing those video games? You got to go practice. They're like, did Michael Jordan practice? I was like, yes, Michael Jordan practiced. He was the greatest of all time. No, no feedback there needed. Just that's the truth. But he would also practice harder than anybody. His skill and his talent met his God-gifted ability in the practice. And the same is true for the fruit of the Spirit, that our practice, we meet what God has blessed us with. Because practice is the process of being made perfect. This is what it doesn't say. It's not that we're perfect. We're being made perfect. Because as we gather here today as a church, we are not a group of perfect people. But we are a group of redeemed people being made perfect being molded to the image of what we see in the fruit of the Spirit, being molded to what it means to be Christ-like. So as we come to this in self-control, I think it's funny that I'm preaching on self-control and it's not tea because recently we have an employee of the month we do at our church and we went through all the fruit of the Spirit and you would nominate someone who would identify in one of these. And I'm still dealing with this a little bit that I wasn't nominated for any of them. Um, I, I'm just saying it's probably because I just even kill on all of them. I wasn't too good on any of them. That's what I try to tell myself. Or am I even a follower of Christ? I'm not sure it's one of those T, but T was the one who won the self-control for the staff. So he's so self-controlled, he left because, but this is the funny part about it. When, the, when you write it in to, uh, who you're nominating, you say why they won it. Most of the time it's like, you know, I nominate uh, Jacob, because he identifies self-control in the way he guides himself, the Holy Spirit guides everything he did. What they, the person that nominated T said, I offered him a piece of cake and he said no. <laughs> and he won self-control because of that. So he just models that for you guys, models it for me of what self-control looks like. But let's, let's look at why self-control is important. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5. This is what the word of God says. It says, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roar, roar, <laughs> roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same type of suffering. So let's look at the first part of this really quick. It says, be alert and of sober mind. So when Peter's writing this, the first thing he wants to give us here is to be alert and of sober mind. Now, as we sit here just in this word for a second, I just want us to think about this. What is he telling us? Be alert and of sober mind. Where does your heart go when you read this verse right here? You almost start to think about this idea. Another way to say it is be aware and with clear thinking. Be aware and with clear thinking. And when we think about self-control, the things that, that come to our mind that we may struggle with, if you go to that moment, are you aware are you of sober mind? Do you have clear thinking in the moment? The first direction Peter gives us is to have this sober mind and alertness, or another translation says it like this, be watchful and self-controlled. Be watchful and self-controlled that what Peter is telling us is our way of being in the world should be defined by watchfulness and self-control. And for contrast here, if I were to go and look back at my life before Christ, the opposite would be true. I was, I was not aware. I was not of sober mind. I was not watchful. And I was everything but self-controlled. 
so that as we become new believers, as we become a new creation, that we should be identified as those who are watchful and self-controlled. So when we think about self-control, when we think about this idea, what do we mean by that? There's a many different definitions of it. I'm sure you have one in your mind as we're talking about, but one of them is to say, to govern one's desires. That it's a governing of one's desires. It's what we should do and what we should not do. And when we think about self-control, we think about all the things we should not do, but there are, in self-control, there's different habits that we should do. So it's the governing of one's desires under this idea of what we should and shouldn't do. And there's really, you, you have self-control that comes to how we treat our body, what comes into our mind, and our heart. Really, self-control encompasses all of these things, our body, our heart, and our mind. That What does self-regulation or self-control look like in those three areas? Like earlier, I said that I have four kids. I have a, a one-year-old, almost one-year-old daughter, a five-year-old son, a seven-year-old son, and a nine-year-old son. Literally 90% of what I do is teaching self-regulation. I mean, seriously. Like, when you're parenting, when you're, you're raising kids, you're trying to teach them, regulate your emotions. Not don't have emotions, regulate where they go and how you process and deal with them. Regulate how much food you eat. Do not eat seven bowls of Apple Jacks. I know you want to eat seven bowls of Apple Jacks, but you need to regulate that in your life. And as I'm teaching them these things, what I realize is I was never taught any of these things, that I was raised in a home of excess. That when there's excess, when there is plenty, go for it, have plenty. And what I did when I left the home was model that in every aspect of my life. I was raised in excess. And I don't mean excess of things. We weren't a very rich family. We lived in a poor part of Mississippi. But when I did have something, I engulfed myself into it. I did not know how to self-regulate. And I still are are having to find habits in my life that help me self-regulate even now because of that. So when I'm parenting, I'm teaching this self-regulation. But why is this self-regulation important? Look what Proverbs says about self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. So when you think about this, when they were writing this, I mean, it was at a time where walls were the main defense for outside invaders. Walls were the the main thing that kept out all sorts of calamity. So for us, when we think about this, self-control is identified to us as something that can keep out all sorts of calamity. Because if our walls are broken down, what type of things are we letting into our life? Because here's the truth. We are inundated with excesses of so many things on a daily basis. On a daily basis, we are just inundated like a waterfall rushing over us of things being thrown at us. And it's not thrown at us in portion, it's thrown at us in excess. And we have the ability to make decision to partake in excess or not. They're thrown to us in excess that we live in a world of excess. And when you think about it, the things that we're offered is a lot like fire. You know, I'm sure this weekend it was nice and cool outside. Some of you took some fire in a controlled way and put it in a little circle and you hung out beside it while you watched your football games or did something fun with your family. You controlled fire. You took the steps to be watchful in how you dealt with it. You had other people around watching as well and you put it in this little contained circle, almost like a little wall around it 
But what would happen if we lit that fire outside of a wall in a place with some dry leaves where it hadn't rained in a good while? What's going to happen to that fire? It's going to spread and cause all kinds of calamities. And same is true of the things that we're offered on a daily basis. That we either could handle it the way we would fire and have good decision making and watchfulness and walls around it. Or we can just let it all in and hope that we're strong enough to deal with it. Because honestly, the reason why you put a fire in those walls is because you are not strong enough to deal with it. I'm not strong enough to deal with. You cannot handle fire without making good decisions with it first. That's why sometimes there are just burn bans in general because of the ability in certain areas that will spread almost 100%. And the same is true of the things we allow in our life. There's some things that we just should not allow in our life because we can't control it. Wall or no wall. So when you think about this, it's like, what are these things in my life? But I want us to say this first, that we're... we're inundated with excess of things that are, some of those are bad, they shouldn't be allowed in the city to begin with. And then some of the things are, are brought to the gates and it's, they seem like good things. But here's the thing, good things very easily become God things when we don't regulate it. There's good things that God has blessed us with. There's good things in this world that we should partake in, that we can partake in. However, when we don't have regulation in it, those good things become God things. They become rulers in our life. Because if you have a city without walls, who's coming in? Invaders that want to be in control. Invaders that want to be the head of your life. Invaders that want to tell you what to do. And what happens is when we allow these good things to become God things, they begin to tell us what to do. But what does God tell us? He says that we should have walls, that there should be this regulation around us. And when you have a wall, the only things you allow in are through a gate. Is a spot of regulation. And what I think scripture is teaching us today when it comes to this is for us to have a gate, for us to have a check, a watchful eye and a watchful heart and a watchful mind of the things we're allowing into our life. Think about your home for a second. And we just, and let's say you had a thousand people outside your home. Are you just going to open the door and let all of those thousand people in your home? Or are you going to go to the door and talk to each one and regulate who you're allowing into your home or not. Because who you allow into that home is going to influence your kids. It's going to influence you. It's going to influence all the people that live in that home, even if it's just you. The same should be true of the things we're allowing into our physical home, which like the things we watch on television, the things that we uh, absorb in our mind, the things that we're allowing into who we are, things we're allowing our kids to see, the things that we're saying. Are we with that watchful eye and regulation saying, are we careful about what we're allowing into our home? And even that, are we careful about what we're allowing into our heart? Are we careful about what we're allowing into our mind? This is self-control of us having a gate of regulation, a place where we're stopping and saying, does this belong here? So why is it important that we have a wall, have a gate? Because this, the rest of what First Peter says is your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So if you think about our hearts and minds and our family as a walled city, and we know that this is true, that the devil was prowling around looking for a place to get in, then how much more can we think that self-control is more important so that we do not just let him in without any thought or any regulation or any control whatsoever? Because he's looking for a way in. 
And oftentimes the reason why we struggle with this so much is because we do not think of it in this aspect. Oh, I can do it. I can control these things. There's, it's not a big deal. Well, oftentimes the things that we, can, we think we control are the things that control us. And we don't stop and realize that there is an enemy that's trying to use our own hearts against us to fall to these temptations. Because here's the thing. There's nothing new under the sun is what scripture says, which means the enemy knows humans. He's been watching them for a long time, and he knows exactly where the possible weaknesses are in that wall. That it is true that we are in a spiritual war. And I just got through, sorry for this, but I just got through rereading all the Lord of the Rings books, Simmerale, and watching all the movies. It was almost impossible for Lord of the Rings illustration not to come in right here. But there's a scene in Lord of the Rings when Aragorn's talking to Theoden, and, he, and Theoden's like, I can't risk open war. And then Aragorn says back to him, open war is on you whether you would risk it or not. And that's where we are when it comes to our self-control, that open war is on us whether we would risk it or not, whether we know it or not. It is going on on every day in every aspect of our life. There is a war for our hearts and minds and the hearts and minds are family. And that we should be watchful for that temptation and self-controlled when it comes because this is true. That if you don't control yourself, something else will. It's really not a choice. That if you don't control yourself, something else will. If we do have open walls and we let something in, those things have the ability, have the desire to control us. Especially the bad things that we shouldn't let in. Those come in with the hope to control you. And the good things we let in that we allow in excess, those become control of us. We become slave to sin at that point. That when we allow these things, that they, they come in to control us. But when we think about self-control, we often think self-control seems restrictive. You know, like when, when you say control yourself, I feel like I have to live a restricted life of self-control. But it's really the opposite. If this is true, that if you don't control yourself, something else will. That thing comes in and becomes your master, becomes my master. And then we are being controlled by something we didn't allow to come in and control us. That self-control is really a spiritual defense against being controlled. Because self-control is truly freedom. It really is truly freedom that when we control ourselves and we have a regulated way of our hearts and minds, we finally find freedom in who God has asked us to be. We find the freedom in surrender. Because we sang earlier about I surrender all and what self-control really is, that we have surrendered ourselves to God and then he unleashes this ability to us for self-control, this spiritual defense against being controlled. So let's stop for a second. Let's get practical. What are the things in our life that are possibly controlling us? What are the things in our life that are, that are possibly taking hold of who we are? Because if we think about it off the top of our head, if we start thinking about the habits in our life, Think about the things we do on a regular basis because we're all just a collection of humans and humans are a collection of habits, things we do on a regular basis. So if we think about the habits that we do in our life, if we were just stop and take an inventory, what are the things that you think that I'm doing this and I'm being controlled because of this? I don't want you to say it out loud. I'm just kidding. I don't want you to say it out loud. 
But what are the things that come to your mind when you think about this, this habit evaluation? And I think this is very helpful to do this on a regular basis because the scripture says we should be watchful, that we should practice the discipline of watchfulness. And, and watchfulness is coming and stopping and looking and see what are the collection of habits in our life. So, like, so what do we define as a habit? Uh, Charles Duhigg in his book, Power of Habit, it's not a Christian book, but it's a helpful book on the science of habit. It says, a habit is a behavior that starts as a choice and then becomes a nearly unconscious pattern. We all have these things where we chose to do it on a regular basis and then eventually it becomes a non-choice at all, whether it be a good thing or a bad thing. These are habits in our life that just become rhythms of who we are. And if you think about it, like for me, I am... Um, I pretty much exercise every single day. I mean, uh, it's bragging. Uh, and by exercise, I mean walk really slowly through my neighborhood. Um, and when I, when I first started doing it, I had to be really intentional because I 100% did not want to do it. I did not want to work out. Um, and then what I, what I began doing is I had to take away all the unconscious patterns, all the other choices to make it the easiest choice possible. And I had to add a reward at the end or while I'm doing it to make it possible. I just said I got through reading all the Lord of the Rings books. What I remember, what I really meant was I listened to all of them while I was walking. So that was part of the reward is like I get to go and listen to these books. It was, I created a reward for myself. But it became, at first, it was a habit. I had to put my shoes. I had to put my clothes downstairs. I had to take out everything. I had to do the coffee beforehand. I had to take out everything that was keeping me from doing and making it an easy decision instead of a difficult decision to where the other day I promises there's no joke I woke up and I was like man I don't want to I don't want to do that today the next thing I know I don't even realize it I'm walking down the trail and I was like how did I even get here because it became an unconscious pattern that is what I do every morning except for more this morning it was really cold so but we build in these habits in our life and when we look at these habits these unconscious patterns we have to look at our habits and ask this question that habits either help us build virtue or vices into our life so when we do this habit inventory, we look at the, the specific habit, what is it building to my life, either a virtue or a vice? And you're like, all habits? Well, yeah, what about brushing your teeth? Is that a virtue or a vice? What's the end result of brushing your teeth every day? Is it virtue or a vice? But if you start thinking about all the habits in your life, you realize that they're either building into a future version of yourself that you either want or you don't want. You're, and you have physical and mental habits. Like if when, you, when you're in a situation, your mind goes to criticism, first of all, that habit is an unconscious pattern that you've chosen has become part of who you are. Is that building a virtue or vice into your life? I'm just giving you examples because these are examples that I've had to process through. Side note, every sermon I ever preach is really a long sermon to myself. Y'all are just getting to hear it. So build virtue or vices into our life because when we think about that and we evaluate each one, if you think about one habit, you have to ask the question, what is the future version of myself it's taking me to? Whatever habit you're doing on a regular basis, what is the future version of myself it's taking me to? And I love this quote from Erasmus. It's like, so when we look at our habits, how do we take out bad habits or, or good things that become excesses and habits in our life? And this, this quote from Erasmus says that one nail drives out another, that habit is overcome by habit. So as we look at the habit inventory of our life, how do we stop and say which habits need to be replaced with different habits and how, it, how do I place in habits that are taking me to a future version of myself that God intended? 
And as, before we do that, I want to say this. It's like as, we, as you get to this point in the message, you get to this point of evaluating all the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, we have to ask ourselves this question. I can't do this. Maybe you're thinking, that, like, I, I have spots in my life where I cannot control that thing. Or we have spots in our life where I feel helpless. I feel like I am a slave to sin. I feel like I am a slave to this habit. And I want to tell you with all comfort and all grace and all mercy is that you're right. We can't do it alone. We don't have the ability to control those things. I, I don't have the ability to control those things. I am too weak to control the fire, as all of us are. But remember what I said at the beginning, is that God has given us the gift to have full access to the self-control. And I think we, we, we miss the point that when we hear self-control, what it is, is it, it's spirit-strengthened and self-control is what we should be defined by. The strength does not come from us. We do not have enough willpower to resist. At work, frequently, after they have an event, they'll, they'll have sweets at the event, and then they'll come put it in the middle of the office, and only three times can I walk by before I eat it. Because I'm, not, I'm just going on my own willpower. I don't need that. I don't need that. Yes, I definitely need that. I need two of them, in fact. Because that's me on my own willpower. I have depleted my willpower every time I walk by. Our willpower is limited. We do have some willpower, and some of you have more willpower than others. But even if we are the ones with the most willpower, that is a resource that will be depleted. But God has strengthened us. He has given us his Holy Spirit to guide us. And he also has given us habits to strengthen our self-control. And that's what we're going to end today with talking about three habits that will strengthen our self-control. So like when you think about self-control, think about it like this. Spirit strengthened and self-controlled that God has given us everything we need for holiness, everything we need to be self-controlled, spirit-strengthened and self-controlled. Because self-control is like a muscle. The more you do it, the more you let God strengthen you to do it, the stronger it gets. Because it becomes this unconscious habit. So what I want to go to these final few minutes is daily habits of spirit-strengthened self-control. Daily habits of spirit-strengthened. The first one is this, be strengthened through the word. So if, if a nail drives out another nail, what habit can we build into our life? And I would say the first one is this. If you're not doing this, then we would add this strengthened through the word. What I mean is before we do anything else, before we grab our phone, before we do anything, that we go into the word and let God strengthen us. And we do this by building this habit into our life. And if you're not doing this, I'm not saying... Start in Genesis 1 and read 13 chapters in the morning. I'm saying just start small. Start with giving the first five minutes of your day to reading the word. That you build this good habit into your life of reading the word and God will use that to strengthen you. Of building this habit of, of, find, of meeting him. So if God has given us holiness and we only have to meet him in it, this is one of the ways we meet him in it. We meet him in his word. So that when that moment comes, when our wall is tested, when our gate is tested, we are prepared. And I have Matthew 4, uh, verses 1 through 11. Let me read a little bit of that. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
So am I. And the tempter, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He is quoting scripture here. And where, what has Jesus done? He has gone to his weakest moment. He is hungry. He is tempted. He's been pushed to the edge. And when do we fall with self-control the most? When we've had a hard day we've had a fight with our spouse, whatever it is, that's the moment when I give in to the things that I struggle with self-control the most is those moments of weaknesses. And Jesus is showing us the greatest moment of weakness he could have. And how does he respond to temptation? By quoting scripture back to the tempter, the one who's prowling around like a lion. He has prepared his heart by meeting God in the word. He has prepared his heart by being in the word of God. So when the tempter comes, his response could have been a brand new response we've never heard from. He is Jesus Christ himself. He could have had a new rebuke for Satan, but instead to teach us this self-control, to teach us this practice of being in the word, he quoted scripture back to the tempter. And this is how all three of the temptations go, is he is encouraging us to be strengthened in self-control by the word. Second is this, be strengthened in prayer. So if, you're, if you think about prayer for a second, if we, if we're, Jacob, you've already asked me to give five minutes to reading the word. I'm asking you to give me five minutes of prayer right after that. So that's 10 minutes total. I know that's a lot. But it's hard to commit those first few minutes of your day to anything. Because if your prayer is anything like mine in the morning, it's like, Lord, will you thank me? I wonder if there's echoes in the refrigerator. Uh, Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, Lord, please forgive me. I, I, I want to focus on you. Lord, be with me today. I wonder if the kids, do they have baseball tonight? Your, your mind frequently begins to drift. But as you build this muscle and God strengthens you in prayer, if you, what you can do is combine that time in the word with time with prayer. So let's say we read Psalm 23 to start our day. The Lord is my shepherd. He helps me walk beside still waters. And then we turn immediately to prayer. Lord, today be my shepherd. Let me walk beside still waters to where we combine those two things that we're praying scripture, that we're spending those first few minutes together. And, and, and when we're strengthened in prayer, Matthew 26, 36, I'm not going to read it all to you, but this is Jesus in the garden. And he knows this greatest temptation is coming, that the cross is in front of him. And what does he do? He comes together with his friends and says, will you pray with me? Would you strengthen, uh, can we be strengthened in prayer together? Jesus uses prayer to be strengthened in a moment of temptation. And then Colossians 4, 2 says, be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. Giving us these habits to build into our life of being strengthened in the word, strengthened in prayer. And then the last one is this, be strengthened in community. When Jesus was in the garden, he asked his community, his disciples, his small group, if you would, to pray with him. Because this is true, if we're to be watchful, many sets of eyes on the hills are better than one. So if our life is to be like a city walled in and regulated and, and the best way to do that is in numbers, to have many watchful eyes on our heart and mind as we watch for others to have many sets of eyes on the hill instead of just one. Look at the end of the scripture we've been studying, what it says. How do we stand? It says, resist him. By standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same type of suffering. The first thing I want you to see is resist. Self-control, sober minds, temperance. This is how we resist, that we should resist him. And here's the thing. When you think about someone resisting alone, Jesus showed us how to do it. But as soon as he did, he was with the community right afterwards. That resisting by ourselves is like a twig in the river. 
Can the twig resist the flow of the river? Most of the time not. That we resist, but when we resist in community, what resistance becomes rebellion. That we rebel against the way of life that the enemy would have for us towards the way of life that God would have for us. That we resist together. And he tells us that by saying, you are not in this alone. That the family... And as we here today as Rolling Hills Community Church, we are a family. And the fact that you are here today, we are resisting in community together. That we are resisting as a body of Christ, but we also will be resisting in smaller groups of community with many eyes on our hearts. That we're, if we're not in that type of community, that we would take that step to that type of community so we could be watchful over each other. That we could be watchful over our own hearts. And the last thing I want you to see is this. Self-control, disciple self-control. Earlier I said I grew up in a home of excess. I was not taught self-control. Self-control was something I had to learn by watching other Christian men and women in my life practice self-control, model that for me, seeing how Christ modeled those things before. But when we practice self-control, especially as parents, we are modeling that for the people in our home and showing them how to self-regulate, to be strengthened by God, but also to Meet him in that with our self-regulation. And not only that, for the people we work with, our neighbors, when we show self-control, we are teaching them the way of Christ. We are teaching them. We are discipling them to this self-controlled, not excess way of life, but this controlled way of life. To where we surrender to God. And he meets us in this practice of self-control. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, we are thankful for the gift that you've given us, that you've given us access to this fruit of the Spirit, that you've gifted us patience and peace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, Lord. You've given us all of these things, Lord. I pray that we would meet you in this, meet you in this gift and begin to live these things out. For our sake, Lord, that we can be more like you in the world, but for the sake of your name, God, that when people see us, they see you, Lord, because you fully modeled every one of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, I pray that, Lord, if there's anyone here dealing with self-control, that there's areas that they need to surrender over to you and meet you in the strength of the Spirit, Lord to help build that wall around their hearts and minds. Oh, Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged today in doing that. Lord, that we would be mindful and watchful of the things we allow into our life, Lord. Lord, that we would be in community with other people that could help be watchful over our hearts and minds, Lord. Because we know that the enemy loves isolation. Lord, if we're not in community, would we make that step today? Lord, if there, or if there's anyone here, Lord, who's never made that decision to surrender their life to you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm their hearts today, Lord, that they would make that decision, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, for the gift of being able to converse with you through prayer and your community, Lord, that you would strengthen us all through those three things. And we ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. 
That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so that you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History and Parenting podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful you spent some time with us today. We'll see you next time.